Today's Fort Lauderdale forecast, beautiful, especially for your business. Here, growth opportunities in tech, life sciences, aviation, financial services, and corporate headquarters are as great as the weather. Plus, you'll be relocating to one of the top business climates in the country with a population of over 6 million people, along with fast and easy access to 10 airports offering over 2,000 daily flights, putting four continents within reach in a single day. Oh, and let's not forget zero state income tax. In short, there's no place under the sun better for you and your business. And speaking of the sun, you'll be enjoying more of it with our 23 miles of smooth white sand beaches and an average daily temperature of 76 degrees. To get more information on why you should make your move, contact the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance at lesstaxing.com. Because life in Greater Fort Lauderdale truly is life less taxing. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. The question is, is the Bible the most influential book in world history still relevant? And why do so many people dismiss it as being irrelevant, irrational, immoral, or all of the above? Well, the Rational Bible Deuteronomy by my next guest, Dennis Prager, national radio host and best-selling author of the Rational Bible series, explains the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and demonstrates how it remains profoundly relevant, both to the great issues of our day and to each individual. If you doubt the existence of God because you think believing in God is irrational, this is a book you need to pick up and read. Well, my guest is Dennis Prager. He is the founder of the online nonprofit Prager University and the author of nine best-selling books on politics, religion, and happiness. Tens of millions of people watch his videos and millions more listen daily to his nationally syndicated broadcast um, radio show. With his knowledge of biblical Hebrew, he has uh, taught the Bible to people of every background for 40 years, and now he continues doing just that with his latest. It's simply Deuteronomy. The Rational Bible. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Torah, the third installment in your um, your series on the Rational Bible. Explain what the Rational Bible is, that title, and why Deuteronomy. I have as my vehicle to the Bible and to God reason. Uh, This is almost... uh, Heretical to say, but I don't accept things that don't make sense. That's that's my nature. I'm not saying it's good it's or bad. It's just my nature. And over a course of a, the course of a lifetime of teaching and studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I came to realize that with enough research, everything makes sense. And I and I try to bring that to people because if you want the roots of the chaos that now reigns in America and in many other places in the Western world, it is that there is no longer any transcendent source of wisdom or of morality, for that matter. And it is it was the Bible. That's why we called it a Judeo-Christian civilization because the Jewish Old Testament and the Christian New Testament. Of course, the Old Testament is also Christian, so both. So I I have been able to make sense of this. Uh, obviously, uh, I have this 
gift from early uh, on of knowing biblical Hebrew very well. That was a big help, but it's not enough, obviously. And gradually I came to realize this is, there's a reason it's the most influential book in history. There's a reason that the civilization that is based on the Bible, Western civilization, had more human rights, had more freedom, had more affluence, had more science, had more of everything precious than any other civilization in the world. That has nothing to do with race. It's an absurdity to even think it has anything to do with race. It's simply a values issue. So I have taken it upon myself to write this up. It's the hardest endeavor of my life to make to make clear what every verse means. But that's what I've done. If people want to check out how people have reacted to Genesis and Exodus, there are 4,000 reviews of those two volumes on Amazon. And now Deuteronomy is coming out in a few days. It's the fifth, as you pointed out, of the five books. I'm working on Numbers, the fourth, and then finally I will do the third, Leviticus. Now, Deuteronomy is unique in that most of the law is found there. Describe that book, the challenge of providing commentary on that book, and why it's important for us to understand what have been some of the controversial questions about Deuteronomy. It will come as a surprise to you, I suspect. It came a big surprise to me, and I, I admit, sadly, I found out about this after I had already written Deuteronomy. But I found out maybe a month ago or two months ago, a a historian of America at the American University reported research done to find out what book or what books the founders of the United States cited most frequently. In second place was Montesquieu, the French Enlightenment thinker, and in first place was Deuteronomy, and I was blown away. Mm. I'm not shocked, but I didn't expect it. I thought if there would be a biblical book, it might have been Exodus, because the founders saw themselves as a second Israel leaving Europe like the Israelites left Egypt. But lo and behold, it turns out to have been Deuteronomy. The book has more laws than any other single book. The book is Moses' recapitulation of everything that preceded it. And uh, it is filled with laws about everything, every aspect of life. I think my favorite, because it, it gives people an idea of how unique the, the Torah and the Bible are, is a law in Deuteronomy that if you are fighting in a war, you're a soldier in a war, and you see a woman that you want, who's part of the nation that you have just fought, you may not touch her. If you want, you can bring her to your home. You must not touch her for 30 days while she mourns her family. Those are the words. And then if you want to just so much as touch her, you have to marry her. Can you imagine if the armies of the world had followed this in the history of, of, of warfare, where rape was as common as shooting your, your enemy? So that, that was written 3,200 years ago. So people ask, is it still relevant? My God, it's more relevant than ever. 
You've written an essay in the book called Fear of God is Morally and Psychologically Necessary. Can you make that case for us? I mean, as a as a Christian, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and the use of the word fear, you, you make a point that that word can be translated in a couple of ways. Talk a bit about the necessity and importance of the fear of God and what Deuteronomy tells us about that. Well, as it happens, uh, it is translated often as revere, but it's incorrect. It does mean fear. And as I have put it all of my life, if more Germans feared God, God than Hitler, there wouldn't have been a Holocaust. If more Russians feared God than Stalin, there wouldn't have been Gulag. Fear of God is one of the most important moral ideas ever conceived, that I feel I have to morally answer to God because there is divine punishment and reward. A professor at the University of Oregon did a peer-reviewed paper published in a scientific journal which showed they they analyzed thousands and thousands of people in, in like 80 countries where people believed in hell there was less violence. The notion that people will act beautifully without reward or punishment is as idiotic as people will drive carefully without the speed laws or punishments. That is that. So fear of God is is the, in some ways the basis of a moral society. Uh, I just would add something that I think people should note. And again, it's a classic example of biblical wisdom that runs completely counter to our thinking today. There are two beings that the Torah, the first five books, tell us to fear. God and our mother and father. That's it. You should fear no one else and nothing else. And of course, to the modern mind, which is usually a a rather primitive mind, unsophisticated mind, they spend too much time in secular colleges, they uh, they think that it's terrible. A child should not fear a parent. So I did an experiment on my radio show. It's a blessing that I have a radio show because I can bounce any idea I want off millions of people. And I said, call me up and tell me if you didn't take drugs in high school, why didn't you? And virtually every single caller said because I I was afraid my mother would kill me. <laughs> that is such a healthy answer. Mm-hmm. If you don't fear your mother and father, that's not good. It doesn't mean you're scared. It doesn't mean you you you, you quake in fear at their presence because you, that you that you you fear they'll beat you up or something horrific or molest you. God forbid. But yes, you should fear them and you should fear God. In fact, fear of parents is the conduit to fear of God. That's why honor your father and mother is the is the fifth commandment, the one following four commandments about God. The conduit to God is is the parent. This is all brilliant stuff that is completely alien to the modern secular mind. There are a lot of lovely secular people, but there isn't a single secular institution with wisdom. The proof of that is the universities are the, the places of the most idiocy, like men give birth, and America's systemically racist. 
and they are the most secular institutions. It is not it, it is not a coincidence. So the, the, these are a tiny, tiny handful of the insights that I tried to provide in the Rational Bible series. Let me ask you some questions on some of the more controversial um, statements in the in the book of Deuteronomy, at least controversial in the 21st century, uh, which may indicate that we don't have any understanding of what the scriptures are saying. What is the uh, the commandment that neither sex can wear the clothing of the other mean today? Now, this would be completely unacceptable uh, in the secular universities, for example. But what does the scripture actually mean with regard to how men and women dress? It means exactly what it says. The 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 Bible, certainly the again the first five books are rooted in the concept of distinctions: good and evil, human and animal, man and God, pure and impure, holy and and uh, impure or holy and unholy, life and death, uh, and uh, male and female. The the abolition of distinctions, which the radically radical secular world desires, uh, is going to mean the end of the civilization as we know it, and it's already happening. Mm-hmm. People telling children that they're not boys or girls, they'll decide later. The American Medical Association announcing that the sex of a child at birth should not be listed on, on the birth certificate. Th- these things are truly sick not to mention completely non-rooted in science. Every animal is male and female except humans. Are I supposed to believe that? I guess I am supposed to believe that, but I don't. God created the human being, male and female, he created them. It's a major statement in the book of Genesis. And you preserve those distinctions by your behavior. So if a man publicly, what he does privately is his business. But what? Uh, but a man who publicly dresses as a woman uh, is is mixing up what should be separate. And the fear of the Bible, which we no longer take seriously, and that's why we now have this, where we have a you know, drag queen story hour for five-year-olds, which is men, not even transgender men, men, dressing up as women and, and dancing in front of the children, so as to thoroughly confuse them with regard to the binary nature of sexual identity. Human is sexually binary. There is male and there is female, and that is it. If somebody who is male thinks he is a female, that's a separate issue. The issue for the the Bible is if you're a man and you're identifiably male, don't wear women's clothing publicly. You're, you're mixing what should remain separate. Now, if you think that society is better now that more men will wear skirts, okay, you obviously have a non-biblical view of the world. We'll see if your world turns out to be a beautiful one. Hmm. Another issue that comes up quite frequently is whether or not God commanded the Israelites to commit genocide when they were commanded to annihilate the Canaanites that had lived in the land that God had promised to them. Yeah, well, that that's a biblical uh, problem. It's not a Deuteronomy problem specifically, but uh, and it, it really occurs in Joshua, which is post uh, the first five books, which is what I deal with, and which have their own uh, specific holiness. But I'll, I'll happily address it. First of all, the Bible itself recounts that they never killed everybody there. 
they show up uh, quite later in the Bible. In fact, the Israelites often would intermarry with them, which is how the, the subject arose. What we have here is much more of a um, of normal hyperbole. We use it in sports: kill him, destroy him. Uh, it it uh, that's that's much more what is being talked about. But even if it were true, e- even if it's accurate, and we take it literally that God instructed, which he doesn't, it's Moses actually, but it doesn't matter. Let's say God instructed or Moses instructed the Israelites to kill all the Midianites or all the Canaanites. Let's say that is true. So therefore what? So therefore I reject love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore I I reject the Ten Commandments. Therefore I reject that law about not raping women in war and, and every other moral achievement of this book in making the best civilization that ever ever occurred see if there were a law whenever you go to war wipe out every single man woman and child whom you fight i i will admit uh, it would be an uh, an insurmountable obstacle to me morally with regard to the bible because as i said originally if it doesn't make sense to me uh, I, I find it very hard to accept but there is no such law it's irrelevant to me today if, if, if the creator of the universe thought that there was a reason to wipe out the people who engaged in child sacrifice, and it's constantly a refrain that these people were particularly evil and, and, and killed children in the, in the name of God, then, uh, you know, that's, that's what God would have wanted in one particular instance. You might as well say, I'm always amazed when people raise the issue of the Canaanites or the Midianites. Why don't they raise the whole issue of the world? The same Bible says God killed everybody on earth except for Noah and his family. Why don't people raise that one? That's more dramatic. <laughs> this is just a little, a little, uh, you know, nationality. That's the whole world. I, I, I never understood that. Why doesn't? Why don't you reject the Bible because of the flood? So uh, I, I don't know what to say. Did God command me to bring a flood? No. God brought a flood because he, he wants people to be good. If people screw it up, then he's going to start all over, and he did with Noah. And we screwed it up again. Maybe maybe it'll happen, but, but he promised that he wouldn't at least bring another flood again. So we don't have to worry about that. There Not may that. be other reasons to worry. So uh, it, 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 look, if people want... If people want to create their own Bible in their brain, I am answerable only to myself, which is what most people now today in the secular world think. I answer to my own conscience and my own heart. If you think that that is a better guide to a good world than the Bible, which guided the creation of the United States of America more than any other text, then, among other things, I think you're foolish and incredibly arrogant. So while I acknowledge a problem, the, the infinitely larger picture is of the most moral document ever to shape a civilization. Was there a favorite thing that you learned as you researched and wrote the Rational Bible, Deuteronomy? Were you surprised by something? Well, that rape law, I got to say, has always struck me as one of the greatest advertisements for the the moral achievement of Deuteronomy in the Bible generally, it's it's quite remarkable. I mean, I could give you so many things. The fact that your animal has to rest on the Sabbath. I mean, 
what civilization in history ever said animals had to rest? This was such a unique development in, in the history of mankind that animals have to be treated well. You, you can't, there's a law that you can't uh, plow with two animals of, of different size on the same plow because they'll pull at different rates. I, I, that you can't muzzle an ox when it uh, when it works in the field. The, the, the concern with animals is unique in human history, where animals were tortured for fun, uh, as like cockfights and and the, and the burning of cats in in in, in, in a sporting event. So uh, it, it's filled with this stuff, and that that's why I I, I I ache for people to read it. If somebody reads any one of these three volumes that are out now, and they can start with any any of the three. It doesn't matter which you start with, uh, and, and then say, "Yeah, well, it doesn't it doesn't persuade me that this is the, the most remarkable moral work ever written." Then, then you know, more power to you. Then I would simply ask, "What would you like to substitute for it?" The New York Times. Hmm. Is there hope for the Judeo Christian value system to prevail in American society again? Only if people who believe in it know how to make the case. And that's why I think this is so important for Christians and Jews to use, because it'll give them the intellectual, moral arguments that they need. Again, the title of the book, the series, The Rational Bible, the latest to be released on the 11th, is Deuteronomy. Dennis Prager, thank you so much for talking with us, and I wish you the best of luck on this latest volume and can hardly wait for the next. That's great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.